Lord God, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you that we get to come together in one place to worship you, to lift up our voices to you in song. Lord God, to, to pray to you. I know many brothers and sisters have our, always are praying, but are praying specifically when they, when they come together in your house, Lord. I, I ask that you hear their prayers that are being lifted up to you. I ask that you hear our voices being lifted up to you. Lord God, I just thank you again for your word and Lord uh, for this day and I And I just ask that you'll bless us and keep us in your son's holy name, in Jesus Christ's holy name I pray, amen. All right, you guys can be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Mercy Hill. Good morning, guests. Welcome. Anyone who hasn't been with us before, welcome. We're happy that you're here with us to, uh, like I said, worship and song and also get to hear the Word of God preached. Um, quick introduction, just in case uh, you don't know who I am, most of you do, but if you're new here, um, not, not to sound arrogant or anything, I didn't mean that, but uh, if you're new here, uh, my name is Brad Frakowski. I'm one of the pastoral interns here at Mercy Hill, and I get the honor and the blessing um, to bring the Word of God to you today. Um, if you have been attending services or, or if you've been following along with our, our podcast, you know that we're in the book of Romans. Um, so I'm going to ask you to turn there today to our text, and our text is going to be found in chapter 10. So if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles or if you use electronic devices, whatever you may do, go ahead and open up to chapter 10. And we're going to be looking specifically at verses 14 through 21. Again, that's chapter 10, verses 14 through 21. And so we will go ahead and read that. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out all... To all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's pray once more. Lord God, Heavenly Father, again, we just thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you reveal yourself to us in this way, uh, Lord, and we, that we get to know you, that we get to draw near to you, Lord. And I just ask uh, that, the, that the words that you put into my mouth will be yours and that eyes will be opened and ears will be uh, open to understanding of what it is that you would have us take from this. And I ask it in your son's holy name, in Jesus Christ's holy name I pray, amen. So our text begins this week with a question. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? To rightly understand why this question is being asked, we must take a moment to see where we left off last week. 
So I would like to take us back just one verse to verse 13. And it reads, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now some of you may be asking, saved from what? Many of you have been regularly attending and following along with our study in the book of Romans. And, but for those of you that haven't, and as a way of reminder for those of you who have, we can do nothing more than simply look back at the beginning of Paul's letter to answer this question. What are we being saved from? We are told that God's righteous wrath is set against humanity because all humanity is under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Through the first three chapters of the epistle or letter, Paul supplies us with an extensive description of ungodly, unrighteous humanity. He describes the most debased as filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. He even goes on to say that, that though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And there are many other examples of why the righteous judgment, and therefore the righteous wrath of God, is set against humanity. So what is it that we need saved from? The righteous, condemning judgment and wrath of God. But what we long for is mercy. What we long for is grace. But the mercy and grace that we long for cannot be found within ourselves. Mercy and grace can only be found in Jesus Christ. Paul says as much when he tells us that while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He tells us that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So now, we have been justified by his blood. And now, we are saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Therefore, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As chapter 10, verse 13 states, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Which now brings us to our text. Chapter 10, verses 14 through 21. We're first going to look at uh, 14 through 15. So if you want to draw your attention there. And again, it reads, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is an interesting text because Paul begins to describe how someone receives the gospel and comes to saving faith in Christ. But he does it in kind of a backwards way. I believe he does this because he led into this portion of text discussing everyone who calls on the Lord. 
And then he works backwards to show how someone gets to that point, to that point of calling on him. He will eventually summarize this portion of text by saying, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So how does someone receive the gospel and come to saving faith in Christ? It begins, obviously, by hearing. But hearing what? The word of Christ. And who is it that delivers the word of Christ? The preacher or the messenger? And who sends the preacher or messenger? God does. God ordained. He determined in eternity that the methodology through which his people would come to know him would be through the preaching of who he is, who his son is. The gospel message that comes out of the mouths of the men who stand at this pulpit and the message that is preached from every solid biblical church, if preached correctly, is not our message. It is the message of Christ himself. The gospel of Christ that I presented a moment ago as our salvation through faith, belief in him, is not my words, they're his. Hear me, I'm not saying that we as preachers have some type of divine gifting that allows us to say whatever we want and label it the word of God. But what I am saying is if we preach Christ's word accurately, what you are hearing is him. In verse 14, it states, And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? But better translated, it reads, And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? It's only a slight change in wording, but significant nonetheless. The better translation eliminates the word of. So again, its proper translation and understanding is, How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? In chapter 10 of the Gospel of Luke, Christ appoints 72 men. He divides them into groups of two and sends them out before him to every city and town and every place that he is about to visit. And as he instructs them on what they are to do, he tells them, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. In order to believe in Christ, a person must hear him. They must hear Christ. In volume three of Dr. James Montgomery Boyce's commentary on the book of Romans, he states, it is Christ himself who speaks to the individual and that it is hearing him that leads first to belief and then to calling on his name in salvation. In Leon Morris's commentary on the epistle of the Romans, he states, the point is that Christ is present in the preachers. To hear them is to hear him. So it is the preacher's or messenger's responsibility to rightly handle and preach the word of God. In describing those who are sent to preach the gospel, our text states, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I know from personal experience that the beauty that Paul and that Isaiah, the book from which this quote originates, were not talking about the physical beauty of the preacher's feet. And I'm sure my wife could attest to that. 
No, but what both Paul and Isaiah are saying about the feet of the messenger or the preacher is that they are used to go. They are to take action, to bring the good news of the gospel to others. That is what is beautiful, the good news of the gospel. It is noteworthy that Paul quotes this text from Isaiah. Because in its original context, the statement, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, was describing and also prophesying a Jewish, of a Jewish messenger who was to bring a message of good news to Israel of their triumph over their Babylonian captors. While this was good news for captive Israel, the text goes on to introduce and prophesy about someone known as the suffering servant. More specifically, that someone is Christ. It says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Here he's describing Christ's crucifixion. So shall he sprinkle or startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which was, has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. In addressing Paul's reference to this text and its original context in Isaiah, Dr. Boyce writes, Salvation of people from earthly enemies was undoubtedly good news. But a message of deliverance from sin is greater still. I'll repeat that. Salvation of people from earthly enemies was undoubtedly good news, the original context in Isaiah. But a message of deliverance from sin is greater still. God sends the preacher or messenger. The preacher or messenger preaches the word of Christ. Whoever hears the word of Christ and believes his word will call on the Lord. But there are times when God sends the preacher... The word of Christ is preached, and those who hear the word of Christ do not believe. That is what the next section of our text addresses. It is important to note that Paul is specifically addressing Jewish unbelief all throughout the chapters of 9 through 11. So you will notice more so in this portion of the text that the remainder of our text will specifically address their unbelief. However, I don't think I have to tell you that unbelief extends well beyond the Jewish people. The remainder of our text is verses 16 through 21. So if you'd like to follow along, feel free to do so. So verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Verse 16 begins with, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. I don't think that we often perceive unbelief as disobedience to God. But if God truly is who he says he is, then not believing in the one true God, the creator of all things, seen and unseen, and his son, Jesus Christ, is disobedience of the highest order. The word of God, the Bible often speaks of disbelief as disobeying the gospel. Disobeying the gospel is typically linked with the wrath of God. Earlier in the book of Romans in chapter 2, verse 8, Paul writes, 
For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. In 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul tells the Thessalonians of the wrath that God will carry out against those who have persecuted and afflicted them violently for his namesake. He tells them, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angel in flaming fire, he will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of, Lord, of our Lord Jesus. In the gospel of John, John writes, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Again, clearly linking belief and obedience. It is obvious that Paul was purposeful in choosing obey instead of belief. He could have just as easily written, but they have not all believed the gospel. But he was inspired by God to write, not all obey the gospel. Most certainly in an effort to relay and emphasize the severe repercussions of denying Christ. Paul then writes, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed? what he has heard from us. This comes from Isaiah 53.1. This text, again, as I said, a quote from Isaiah, happens to be the exact text that follows the description of the suffering servant that we discussed earlier. Again, no doubt that Paul was inspired to quote Isaiah here to draw the readers and, their, and our attention back to the prophetic words Isaiah penned for seeing our coming Lord and Savior. Paul reiterates in verse 17 that we have already, that we have already discussed about the, about the beginning of our text when he says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But he follows that statement with verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. This seems to be the excuse that would be given we haven't heard about him. And Paul answers that, or yeah, Paul answers that excuse with a verse from the, the book of Psalms that says their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. It's Psalm 19.4 that he's quoting. And at first glance, it may seem a little bit confusing as to why he would quote a text that seems to allude to the universal general revelation of God. Similar to that revelation that Paul described in chapter, chapter 1 when he said of God, for his invisible attributes, namely his, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. However, as I, as I studied this text, I found that many commentators agree with F.F. F. Bruce's insight and that what Paul is doing here is that he is taking the language that describes universal revelation of God, and he is ascribing a similar effect to what he calls representative, representative universalism. Meaning that wherever there were Jews, and in particular, wherever a Jewish community existed, there the gospel had been preached. So not hearing about him is not an adequate excuse for Israel. In verse 19 and 20, Paul goes on again to quote Moses and Isaiah's prophetic words about God's plan to call us, to call the Gentiles. It's information that Israel would have known well. They knew their scriptures. They knew the word of God. 
In verse 19 and 20, he writes, but I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Both of these prophesying of the Gentiles, of us. Paul then writes, but of Israel, he, Isaiah, says all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. We already discussed how God typically handles disobedience. That was one of my first points. But here we see a glimmer of hope. We see that mercy and that grace that we long for. We see a God of mercy and grace that all day long holds out his hands to those who disobey and act contrary to him. We also see a drastic contrast between the way God treats his people and the way his people treat him. He displays a love that is long-suffering. He lifts out his hands all day long. I'm going to ask you guys to do something with me. If you'll just lift your hands out, like you're getting ready to embrace someone, whether it be your child, your son, your daughter, a parent, mom, dad, how long do you think you could do that? What does it say of God? He lifts out his hands all day long. How long is all day for God? All day long, I, God, has held out his hands. And what is the day of the Lord? We are told in 2 Peter, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. Get pretty tiring to hold your... Arms out there for a thousand years, huh? He holds his hands out continually. He holds his hands out always. And what kind of hands are they? It would probably be best to look at the hands of Christ to understand what type of hands we're dealing with. It's definitely not a clenched fist desiring to beat us. That is not the type of hands that Christ has. They're open hands with scars where the nails were driven through. How many times do we read about Christ's hands throughout the Gospels? When men were covered in diseases like leprosy and no one would touch them, Jesus would. When blind men cried out for healing, who touched their eyes and restored their sight? Jesus did. When Peter, <laughs> when Peter, God bless him, was walking on the water to Jesus, but took his eyes off him, and it says he lost faith, who is it that reached out and grabbed Peter's hand? Jesus did. Jesus blessed children with his hands. As he ascended into heaven in his resurrected body, he lifted up his hands and blessed the people watching him. Worship team, you can come up. As I reflected on our text today and thought about how it is applicable to all of us, 
I thought of a couple primary ways that it is. One way is for unbelievers and another is for believers. For unbelievers, if you're sitting here today and have not called on Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I plead, <laughs> I plead with you to do so. You know, Paul, Paul traveled from city to city. And in every city that he entered, he would first go to the Jewish synagogue in that city. And the synagogue, after synagogue, after synagogue, he preached the gospel. Over and over and over again, he preached Christ crucified for the sins of the world. He preached Christ crucified for the sins of the world. Their sins, your sins, my sins. He preached the resurrection from the dead. He preached the message of our living Savior who defeated sin, who conquered death, and who today, right now, sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us every day of our earthly lives until we leave this side of eternity and enter into paradise with him to be in his presence, sinless, painless, forever, perfectly honoring and glorifying him. If you're sitting here today and have not called on the Lord, right now at your seat, just pray. Confess to God that you are a sinner in need of a savior, that you trust and believe in his son, Jesus Christ, to be your savior. And if you want to talk to someone after the service, I'll be here and um, our elder Conrad is here. We'd be happy to talk to you. For believers, my encouragement for you, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. These are the words of the Great Commission, and they are for all Christians. So I add this reminder, although not all Christians are called to be preachers or teachers, all are called to be agents of Christ's commission. Ask God to give you opportunities to speak to others about Jesus and his death for sinners, and then be sure you actually do it. And when you speak with those who seem closed off from the message, pray for them. Just as Paul prayed for his ethnic brothers and sisters who were not coming to Christ, pray for them. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I just, again, thank you for today. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you call us and that we have an opportunity to call you that we can surrender ourselves to who you are. That everything in us can turn to you and turn away from the lives that we have led, the pasts, the past that we have led, Lord, that we will put it behind us. Lord, I just pray that we will take off the old self and put on the new, the new self that is in you, that is in your son, is in Christ Jesus. His hands are out, stretched to all of us. He does not have a closed fist 
His hands are wide open. They welcome you. They want you to be part of the kingdom. Come. Come to him. Lord God, I just ask all these things in your son's holy name. In Jesus Christ's holy name, I pray. Amen.